everyone and welcome to the Rodeo Kids podcast. I am your host, Camry Rorda, and I want to welcome you back if you've been here before. If this is your first time, thank you for joining us and we encourage you to hit that follow button and share it with your friends. We have a podcast in store for you today with a lady and a team leader that is just incredible. Not only do we talk about the country's richest youth rodeo event on one of the biggest stages with the most number of entries that is available in the United States, but also a journey and advice from a coach, from a NFR qualifier, from somebody who's been in the business for just a really long time and who's constantly striving to do better, be better, and create more opportunities for the youth and keep this industry growing. This is just packed full of so much awesome information. And so we would like to welcome Sherry Lynn Johnson with our interview led by team leader Madison Horde. And stay tuned for the end of the podcast. We have some exciting information about Rodeo Kids and some of the new opportunities that could impact you. Let's get started with this week's Rodeo Kids podcast with Sherry Lynn Johnson. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast, where we empower youth to be their best selves through the values and traditions of the rodeo and Western lifestyle. Hi, my name is Madison Horn, and I am here with Sherilyn Johnson. She is a producer of the world's largest youth rodeo event in the U.S., the Vegas Toughest, and she has made it to the NFR countless times. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast with us. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So before we talk about the event itself, would you tell us a little bit more about your history prior to starting up the Vegas Toughest? As far as our event is concerned, Mike and I have rodeoed most of our life. My husband's been to the NFR 23 times, and that's a record. I've been four times, and uh, we've actually been once together and the first married couple uh, to the NFR at the same time. We've made the Canadian finals. Um, he's won Calgary. And so one of the things that was important to us is to continue that as part of our legacy to the youth. And in order to do that, what more important would be for them to compete at the national finals as far as being there on site in the town itself when all of the competitors were there. And in order to do that, we needed to bring the money for that to happen. So our, our vision was there. Mike's vision was, was ultimately what started it all. And we wanted to see, we started with roping and barrels and then we added goat tying and then we've added team roping. And so those are our events in which we've competed in most of our life when we were a youth. And we wanted that to move over to the kids and try to see if we could make it the largest. And it is by far now the largest payout in the world for any youth that is competing in those events. So did you guys grow up in rodeo families? I did not. Mike did. My dad had a boat and a motorcycle. And when I was born, uh, <laughs> a man told him how to keep me on the straight and narrow was to buy a horse. So he sold the boat and the motorcycle and bought a horse. And um, he learned with me as I was learning, obviously. And now my mom and dad are probably the largest seller of barrel horses in the world 
They sell all the horses for Ari and Martha Josie, which are renowned, obviously, at the Josie Ranch. And they've been doing that for 40 years plus. So my dad became a barrel jockey and, uh, and we worked that way. My husband, on the other hand, his brother made the national finals as well. And his father was a calf roper back in his day. So we came from two different ways to get there. But um, we actually competed, Madison, just so you know, in 1982, Mike and I won the high school ribbon roping for Oklahoma. And so our claim to fame that when we retire one day, we'll go to the senior pros and I'll run ribbons again for him. So we'll see if that ever happens. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little trivia. <laughs> Nice. So did you only run barrels in high school rodeo? Oh, no, Madison. My favorite and most uh, prominent event was goat tying. I am on Mount Rushmore for goat tying, not barrel racing. Um, back in my time, I was well known for goat tying. And so uh, we do a lot of clinics now. And one of the things I roped to and I won, you know, um, the nation in the all around in high school. And then I went on to collegiate and I won the all around as well there. And I won my region in all the events, roping and goat tying. But I was definitely, goat tying was my passion, um, simply because I could control the narrative. You know, in the barrel racing, the ground could be not what we would like, or it may not fit the horse in which you're competing on at that time. But in goat tying, no matter if you draw the best goat or the worst goat, you can place on that goat if you're um, good at your event. And that's not so much to say in calf roping or barrel racing or, or any of those others, you know, in the events. So um, I really love that, but I did all the events. I even cut, I was the state champion in Oklahoma for cutting. So I had to do it all to be the all around. So, um, and you know, my husband, he's roped, I guess, since he was, you know, in a diaper, they say it was tying the, the dog up with his diaper on and his pig and string. So I'm quite sure that he, uh, he enjoyed roping when he came out of the, <laughs> came out of his mom. So uh, that's all he knows and he loves it. And we try to do that through clinics. We teach a lot of clinics all over the world. We're in Canada right now. We're in Alberta. So we're doing some rodeoing up here and we've done some clinics in the last past two months up here. So hopefully, you know, it's a little bit cooler up here, I hear, than at home. Uh, we're enjoying the good weather, but we've been doing rodeo. It's, it's in our DNA. We love see young kids grow up we love to see them make a difference not just the champions Madison um, you know sometimes you just need the nudge in the right place you need to know that you have the ability to do it and what more importantly is if you get to that place you might find out that you're tougher than you think you are or you might get your ears beat down just a little bit but it'll make you stronger because you'll go home and practice and know that I could have done it if I work on these steps or these drills, and then you'll come back and show everyone what you can do. And I think putting kids on a larger stage and having qualifiers all over like we do allows those kids to have that opportunity. And that's what rodeo is about. You don't get to the top just because you get there because you have to work at it. You get there because you have the will, you have the background, you have the the village that helps you. And all of that comes from the man above. And so I think that in, in reality, we're hoping that that's the difference that we make is having families supporting each other. I, I don't know about you because I know you're young, Madison, but I can tell you from our point of view, 
rodeo is the biggest sport and the best sport in the world because we still kneel and we still pledge. And I believe that's important things in our world. So I'm really proud of rodeo and where it's going. Who was your village of people that really helped you and supported you because you didn't grow up in a rodeo family? I did not. And so my dad took me to, um, back in the day, met me a, a name that you don't know much about, but in 1977, Jackie Joe Perrin won the world and her dad, Billy Perrin lived about 40 miles from us. And so we didn't have a lot of money. So I would go up there and he would have horses to ride and I would ride the young horses that they brought in to learn and it didn't cost me to go and do his clinics because I could you know as long as I stayed and rode the young horses that came in I learned from them and in return that helped me pay for my tuition and Billy Perrin learned from Dale Yuri and Dale Yuri is a name that obviously has won some world championships in his family and his grandkids and all of that. And he was a very renowned uh, trainer in the fraternity world. And uh, James Ward was his son-in-law and he won a lot as well. And that's where my foundation came from. And I'm very loyal to that. And I think, um, I think you have to have that. I think you have to have uh, strong-willed families. I'm, I'm an only child. I'm proud of that. But um, I believe that it's important that your family or whoever that you have is a positive support. And my mom and dad jumped in and learned everything they could. Because we didn't have money, we would bring horses in. We would tune them up and then we'd resell them and I would learn from that. And then we'd get a better one. And then we would tune on in and then we'd get it going and winning and then we'd sell it. And that's how we got to where we were with horses. We weren't able to go and buy one. You know, nowadays they're quite expensive. <laughs> My husband was a lot like that too. You know, he was lucky. The people that was around him because his brother went to the finals a couple of times, people would stop by his house that, you know, were uh, champions or in the top. And he was surrounded by people that did the sport he did and he could pick up from everyone. And so I think no matter what you do is you need to put yourself in those positions to where you're around the right people. And not always is it a champion. There may be people in your hometown or in your area that just because of family or because of, of things that are going on in their life, they don't go on the road to be a world champion. But at the same time, they have a lot of experience in, in doing the right things. And I think that that's important. And just look for that person. And everyone knows when you're around someone, someone that's positive, it doesn't take you very long. Just find that person and, you know, follow them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, be their shadow. And I think that stands true for a lot of things in the world. Shailen, one thing that I want to just um, emphasize, I really love that you're showing two separate scenarios of two different ways to grow up in the rodeo world and still be successful with both of those. And I think right now we're in a time where at least I see a lot of first generation cowboys and cowgirls. Um, and then we still have those who definitely grew up with it in a rodeo family. But at the end of the day, it's who you surround yourself with and what kind of effort you put into it. So I just really appreciate that you are able to uh, shed light on it for two different aspects. So that's really neat. Well, I appreciate that. And from a educational standpoint, 
I was a first generation college student and I went on to get my master's and my doctorate. Unlike my husband, he went to high school and went directly into the truck with his brother and uh, started rodeoing because he didn't have a truck. And he was offered a lot of scholarships in basketball with roping. And he chose to, to go on the route, obviously made the finals when he was 19. So we come from a different educational background as well. And I use my education every day because it helps me understand to get through to people, to understand how to help them and how to deal with them if things aren't going exactly as planned. And at the same time, my husband came from a different point of view, and yet he's really a good teacher and people seem to really understand how he explains it. And so it is neat that we do both come from beginning backgrounds and educational different backgrounds and yet can get the same common goal. Yeah, there's no one right way to do anything. It's just what works for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what you guys are doing here with, you know, this endeavor and these kids, I can see with Madison and and uh, how she's really um, thinking things through. And, and it's important to put those kids out there that people can, can also follow in their footsteps. The hardest part of being young, I believe, is knowing that there's someone younger than you that's watching everything you do. And that's who they look up to. You don't have to be old like me for someone to look up to you. You could be 13 and a 10 year old looks up to you. And I think the sooner we teach our young kids that they're a role model for, for kids younger than them, the better that we're going to make our world. I always try to share with the kids too that they're also role models for me. You know, when I see these kids out here like Madison and the leadership team, like these kids are out there and they are putting in the work and, you know, they're making just amazing things happen. And for me, even as an adult, they inspire me to be better and to do better. So I think that, you know, it, it's not just those who are under them, but they're inspiring their parents to continue to work hard. But they work hard when they work towards their goals, when their parents see them out there in the arena and out in the practice tent, out in the barn late at night, putting in their effort. That makes their parents want to go to work and work that much harder to make their dreams come true as well. So I think it's, it's, a, it's yeah. an all around thing. We're all in this together. And when we inspire yeah. the kids, the kids inspire us. I, I, you couldn't have said that any better. I, I totally agree. If nothing else, it makes sure that keeps them on their P's and Q's, right? Because, you know, good, good people make good people be better, right? You know, (laughs) I I believe that I I tease all the time because my, my English, when I come to Canada and I'm here a few months and I go home, I mean, someone will say, where you been? Because take my Southern slang and I put it with Canadian and it comes out all whopper jawed, right? And so I think whatever you're around is what you pick up on and you don't even realize it. So that's why you should surround your pe- yourself with, with, the right, with the right people. Amen. Yeah, I agree. You're doing a wonderful thing here. Thank you. What made you guys decide to start offering clinics? I came to one of your clinics in 2021 in Michigan, and I loved it. Awesome. That is so cool. I didn't know that. Yay. Awesome. You've grown up on me a little bit. Yeah. Well, perfect. So from that experience, I'll I'll answer your question, then I want to ask you one. I want to know from your experience, what, how, how has that molded in in what you do or where you go or what did you learn from that but um, I will tell you I absolutely love to see 
make a difference in someone's life. I love to see um, someone that um, has a horse that they, they didn't pay big bucks for, that they're learning on their own, or that they're working hard at doing something, and to, to show them how to have tools so that way, when I leave them, not only can I help them that day, but they'll have tools to help themselves later. And I totally enjoy doing that. And I've seen others that didn't have the patience and didn't have the mindset. Some people are really good at what they do, but they have a harder time of expressing it by showing someone else or sharing those tools with other people. And I enjoy seeing the smile and making the difference. And that's why I love to do clinics. It's not all about uh, big numbers. I don't like big numbers. We try to keep them as small as we can. I'm curious if you came to the one in Michigan where we had something going on in one corner, another going on in another corner. Were you there? Okay. Um, because it got bigger and bigger. When we got there, it was supposed to be 15. And I think it ended up being like 25. And um, it was a lot of fun, but we were really busy. <laughs> so um, yeah. uh, was that in an indoor arena? Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun. I kept that picture a long time on our Facebook page because it was a really cool clinic. And uh, we had no idea it would look like that when we got there. But Mike and I both really enjoy seeing a difference because where we came from, versus, um, you know, we see people have clinics will have 60 and 100. I just don't like that for us personally, because we like to personally do it ourselves and help you one one at a time. And for whatever, whatever level you're at, whatever age your horse is, wherever you are to go forward. So yeah, enjoy them lots. Yeah, because I, I think I was like 12 or 13. And I was just starting out roping and I, I was struggling a tiny bit, I, but he like just took me aside and like helped me to work through it and pretty good at roping now. Oh, so yeah, good for you. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, well, that is really good to hear. So you know a little bit about us before I got here. So that's good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. So how old are you now? I'm 15. Awesome. Mike and I, we, we still do quite a few clinics. We've been rodeoing a little bit just for fun and having a good time up here in Canada. We both have young horses. And so we've enjoyed that a little bit, but I did a 10 day stint of clinics in Manitoba, Canada before I came over here. So we haven't been able to cross the border because of all the COVID and everything for a few years. So I think it's been six years since we've been up here. So I'm enjoying the weather, no doubt. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. It's been a long time. So, um, but you know, at home it's 117 in the shade, you know, kind of thing. And up here it's 70. So <laughs> it's really yeah. good. How many clinics do you guys have on average per year? Well, probably between the colleges, we go to a lot of colleges now and, and help them twice a year. So, you know, we're probably more like in the twenties. We used to do about 35 a year. We're more in, in, you know, 20, 22, something like that. Well, we try to not do them in June and July. And uh, I know I'm going to do one next week up here, but it's just because I was asked and I haven't been here in a long time. But typically we do them in the spring and the fall. And it guidelines between our colleges because that's when they start, you know, for their fall season and then their spring season. So we'll start back again in August and we'll do some in August and September. And then we'll, Vegas toughest, they'll be too busy. And then we'll start back again in January. So 
January, February, March, April are really a lot of clinics. Pretty much that's what we do then. Can you shed a little yeah. light on like the format of your clinics just for people who are curious and interested in possibly attending kind of what a clinic looks like? Absolutely. We either have a combination of barrel racing and roping, or we'll just have roping or just barrel racing. We still do a little bit of goat tying um, with our breakaway, depending on where we are. Uh, basically, we like to do two days. We can do a one, but I prefer two days because the second day you kind of get it. Like everything, the first day is breaking down whatever it is that you're doing and then putting it back together or starting from scratch and making your way through your basics. And then the second day, applying them. And so we start on the ground, no matter what it is, if it's roping, we start on the ground. Once we complete the groundwork, then we put it on a horse standing still behind a dummy and then put it towards a moving target. And then we put it in the box. Depending on your horse, if your horse has never seen a box, we work with you to teach that horse what the box is. In barrel racing, we kind of do the same thing. We start off with, I let you all make a run. I want to see where you are and see what I'm looking for. And then I visit with you about your horse. I talk to you about my words and how I would approach what I'm going to talk to you about. So that way it's not foreign to you and you don't know what I'm asking you. And then I show you the main things we're going to do and how we're going to do them. Like the drills, my, my famous speech is stir the soup. So Madison, if you remember that, if we did barrels, if you were there, that was what we did. And, um, and then we put those to drills and in the barrel racing side of the world, I think horses get sour of working barrels, but I believe if you do drills and a, each drill determines what you're needing to do. So there's a drill for different things. And so we start out with getting everyone to getting their horses in the right position. And we do a drill that way. And then we, the second drill adds on to that position of how that you, you know, collect the horse when you do the drill. And then after that, we, we put those two together and put how to leave a barrel and make sure that, you know, your horse, you and everything is proper. And then at the end of the two days, we put it all back together and then you make a run for me to show me. And it doesn't have to be a full out run, but so you can see how they apply. And I always tell them, put this in your toolbox and please listen if it doesn't affect you because it might not affect you today, but a month down the road, two months down the road or a week, you're going to have that issue and you're going, I know how to do that because Sherry Lynn told me that. And so you pull that tool out of that toolbox and you use it. And so much of what we do and everything in life, I believe has to do with just not knowing the proper way of getting them to do those things. And I feel like if you're given those tools to get to do those things, then you'll, you'll be able to do them better, easier, or at least the approach, you know, a lot of times just knowing how to approach an issue. And, you know, if you've not been told how to do that, or shared a different way of looking at it, you know, horses have styles and you can't change the style in which a horse goes. You just want to make him better at the style that he goes. And that's a kid, whether they're breakaway roping, whether they're trying to go, they're going to have a style if they've been doing it a while. And all you need to do is help them with that style to make them better. Don't, you know, teach them a different way. Just show them better of how they go about doing it.
And I, my, that philosophy has worked for me. And I feel like um, it's a good way of, of getting things across to people. Cause you know, everyone has a brain and everyone knows or should know right from wrong. And everyone should be able to, to sit on an animal. They just need to know how to do it. And I think those are some things we just overlook. Well, and while we're on the subject of clinics too, uh, we do clinics as well. And I love the two-day clinics as well. And I just want to encourage anybody who's listening to this. If you are going to advance your skills, and if we're going to be willing to pay the entry fee, then we should be willing to pay for the educational aspect of it. You've got the horse and the truck and the trailer and the fuel and all of that kind of stuff. Getting help by going to clinics or lessons is the best investment that you can make next once you have everything else lined up so you can get there. And if you can go to a two-day clinic, I 100% agree that that first day is just laying the foundation. And then when those kids sleep on it overnight and they come back the next day, it's like a whole new world has been laid in front of them. And so um, if you're considering going to a clinic, if you can round up the money and the time, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to attend a two or two and a half day clinic, three day clinic, anything more than one. And if you are interested in hosting one, to set aside the time and the money to host a two-day clinic because you know, you'll be way ahead in the long run. Take two of those entry fees that you're going to pay that you're probably not going to get out of it what you put into it and put that into a clinic that will reward you to pay that clinic money back when you do win at that rodeo. Yes, exactly. Added money people don't like that. I don't want to be added money. I want to have an opportunity to win the money that I put up. And so in order to do that, I need that help and that foundation and those tools so I can quit being added money and I can be the one that is taking the money. So that's, that's that's what, yeah. That's right. I teach some lessons and I still use that one barrel drill where you like, have like a line and you lope further out and you lope further in and then you like turn it I don't know what's that called but I still use that drill to this day oh awesome well that's good to know yeah I believe that it's important I think if you can get you know the better horsemanship that we are the better that we'll be able to handle arenas ground any situation that we have you know uh, horses aren't perfect they're just like us they wake up and they don't feel as good or you know they stub their toe or whatever. And we have to be able to be on cue to do that. And I think that uh, it's exciting for you to, I'm, I'm so excited that you actually have been to one of our clinics and that you use things that we do. So that's neat. Last thing before uh, Madison switches to the next topic, what is the age range that you usually have at your clinics? Oh my goodness. You know, it's really funny that you asked me that question because I've been asked this probably more than once and, and I've done it both ways. And I can tell you the positives and, and the better positives of it. You know, I guess I've never really had anyone ask me if she's seven, can she come? I believe the only difference in that would be as far as their attention span. But if they're, you know, sometimes a 12 year old rider doesn't ride as good as an eight year old kid. So I've never really, really put an age on it. But what I will say is that I've been able to put all kinds of ages and all kinds of levels in one group. And don't get me wrong. I've really enjoyed an advanced group. Okay. And I've enjoyed a beginner group, 
and I've enjoyed a colt group where you bring a horse and we've, he's never even seen a barrel. But I also enjoy those groups that have a little bit of everything in it because those young kids will make those older kids work a little harder at it because they tend to want it more and they tend to pay attention more. And so I guess I've not had five and six-year-olds in clinics that much, but I've, you know, we've worked on the ground and that sort of thing. But I, I've seen a lot of eight, nine, 10-year-olds that, you know, actually can ride really well. And, you know, just the two days, sometimes you want to make sure they get a cookie break, you know, and that sort of thing, especially in the rope inside. I will tell you that Mike had a six and under class one time in Indiana, not too terribly long ago. And I thought he was going to upchuck because he did not know how to handle it. And I was there with him <laughs> and, uh, and he had those little kids because they had no, how do I want to say this? If you, if you have a clean slate, sometimes that is the best thing in the world. When they walk up and they don't even know how to pull the rope, you can, uh-huh. you can, you can teach them from a clean slate. And sometimes that is so far easier than someone that has those habits that you have to break and uh, I'll never forget though I was talking to a parent and Mike they were roping the dummy and I mean they were catching it all these little six-year-olds were catching the dummy every single time and Mike said shall we win shall we win and I looked over he said I think your husband needs you and there was a little girl pink boots pink rope and a pink bow and she was just bawling and she had a rope and it was kind of out in front of her if you can visualize this and she was just bawling and I said did the rope burn your hand she shook her head and I said would you like a cookie and she shook her head and her little <laughs> lip was quivering and so she and I went and got a cookie and we come back and that rope didn't burn her hand no more so you know I think that uh, at that point maybe an age would make a difference um, as far as how you know you're competitive and that sort of thing but I think their attention span is just not as long and if you just understand that and and you know are able to to make it fun for them, then I feel like they can learn at any age. I, I, I hate to put that on them, you know, to put a, cause I mean, I was different. I wasn't a normal eight-year-old riding horses. And, um, I think there are a lot of kids out there like that. Then there are kids that maybe they need to be 10 before they can, you know, go to a clinic of some nature, but but I do want to say this, and I want to make sure that I get this out. I think it's important if we if we don't remember anything from clinics in our talk is that no matter um, what age you are, no matter what you're doing, when you start something, I feel like until they're of an age to where they can decipher different things, you should stay with the same program, the same person, the same system in what you're learning. And, and I look at that as, as school. When I went to school, until you got to a certain age, you had the same teacher. And they taught you math, they taught you social studies, they taught you English, everything came from the same person. But then when you got to where you could handle learning math from one person and then going to a different person that teaches different in learning English and going to a different person that teaches gym, that sort of thing, I feel like that's with our kids and learning with horses. And I think you'll give them more difficulty by teaching them from different people. They get confused at what their basics are. 
So once they get that basic down, then I do believe you can learn something from everyone. And I think it's important and, and uh, nothing wrong with going to different clinics and picking up new things. But I think there's a level and I don't know a specific age that I would say, but I know 12 and under is, a, is a, I guess, a good overall frame of that is until you get to where you're a teenager and you probably can cipher that, it might be better for you to have that foundation from one person. And you probably know more about that than anyone, you know, working with all the kids that you guys do. But I've seen that over the years um, with the kids that we work with. Yeah, well, and I just, I want to emphasize a couple of things there. Like, I love, you know, I agree with the sticking to one person too, because one thing that I found is sometimes kids get to jumping around before, you know, somebody's teaching you one thing and you've got to build on that over time. But if it doesn't work right away, then they jump to the next person, but it's a process. And Absolutely. you need to, if you trusted that person to start with, and if you still believe that their program can work, you got to trust them through the hard times too, because they're going to come regardless because we're humans and then there's great. Um, so I, I want to just emphasize that I do think it's important to stick with somebody you trust for long enough to have a, a give them a real solid chance to help you solve the problem or to teach you the things that you need to learn before. And I think that there are levels, you know, you do want to have the coach that can teach you the basics and the foundation. And as you said before, uh, not every professional rodeo athlete can articulate what they do in words and help you coach you, but they might be able to pick up on the really fine tuned thing once you're advanced, but you don't necessarily need to go to Shad Smith or Chad Mayfield to get your beginner lessons because he's not at that level. And so making sure that you're kind of matching up your level with somebody who's a little bit above you or who can articulate it at whatever level you're at. So I think, I think those are really good things when it comes to choosing a clinic. Uh, so I appreciate that you are shedding light on those things. Well, you know, one of the things you don't want is for someone to get a bad taste um, and have a bad situation and then just think that's not the, the thing to do, you know, well, that's never going to help me or, you know, you've got to just research, do your research. When you do that, go out and look and see, and don't just ask one person, you know, ask more than, than one person, a ask different people to learn, you know, not everyone has an open pocketbook to be able to buy a new bit and go to this vet and do this chiropractor and, you know, all those things. Um, I, I think it's important that, you know, you get someone that can, like you said, be on the level of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish, you know, set your goals and then work towards those goals, whatever that goal may be. And your goals don't have to be the same as your partner. You know, I, I tell everyone that's competing in life. I say, you know, when you go into the arena, you're only competing against one person, yourself, your, your personal best. If you, if you judge yourself against the person went right before you, then you know, you're already at a downfall. You're already setting your goal, whether it's too low or too high. You're setting your goal based on someone else's progress and where they're at, their pocketbook, their horse, their their uh, abilities, everything. It's only against yourself. And if you'll do that in life, whether that's a, a higher goal or a, a smaller goal, if you'll just do that, then then things will work for you and you will get better and life will be what you want it to be. But if you set yourself against the next person, then you're going to have a harder road. It's going to be bumpy. Yes. So I read another article. Could you tell us more about your 2007 season roller coaster? 
I read that your horse was injured and then the doctors thought that you had cancer, but you didn't. So can you like talk more about that? That was crazy. Oh, I, I could not pull that up to read it. Um, I apologize for that. But since you explained to me what you're talking about, that was an awesome horse. That was a weird situation. I was at Puyallup, uh, Washington Rodeo, and it's a tour finale. And back then, the horse that I was riding then was View This Jet. Phenomenal horse. Probably one of the fastest, quickest horses I've ever rode. And I had won four rounds, all four rounds. Um, Lindsay with Martha at the time won the world that year. She won second, all four rounds behind me. And my stomach just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, I was fourth in the world. And so I, you know, I barely could get on the horse. I think there was times that Mike kind of just put me up there and I would run and then I couldn't even walk back to the trailer. I barely could do the interviews. And I was driving to uh, Albuquerque. And for some reason we got split and I was by myself and I pulled in and put my horses in um, the fairgrounds there at Salt Lake City and put myself in the hospital. And they thought it was um, that I had kidney stones. And so I was like, oh, well, let's get them out because I got to be in Albuquerque, <laughs> you know. And so they uh, as they looked and tested and whatnot, they said it's not kidney stones. And I was like, OK, so what is it? And it's like it's a tumor. And, and it's malignant. And I was like, okay, then check me out. I was like, I got to go. And they were like, well, we don't know for sure if it's super malignant or if it's, you know, if maybe our test was wrong, we're going to test it again. And then we'll let you know. And I said, well, how many days is that? And they said, I don't know if it was one or two or whatever. And I said, well, you can call me on the road. And so I checked myself out. I got back in my truck and I drove to Albuquerque and long story short, the whole next week, 10 days, however long it was till we got to Omaha, I thought I had cancer and I was going to die. And it kept growing. And it was when they finally took it out, it was about the size of a, it was, I, I don't know, I knew inches or not, but it, it was pretty big. And it was right in the middle of my stomach. They did it like a C-section basically across and went from side to side. So by the time I got to Omaha, they had to basically hold me up when I was in the arena. We did the awards. I rode a horse, a stud of um, a man from um, over in that area, real nice man. I sat basically on the ground and they put me on and I ran and then I came off and I went into Omaha after the Omaha tour finale the next day into the cancer and, and they did surgery. I was in there thinking I was going to die, that it was malignant. And I mean, because I'm not kidding, grapefruit size, it was huge. And the day that they took it out, they came in and told me that it was benign, that the tests were wrong in Salt Lake. And I had stitches from one side of my hip to the other side. And I said, I want to check out. And they were like, you can't, you just had surgery. We just sewed you. And I said, listen, everyone in here is dying. And I am not. I said, I have been blessed with a second chance. I want out. And they said, how do I said, how do I get out? She said, you have to eat. And I said, okay. So they brought me something. I threw it up, but I ate and they had to let me go. And I went home that day, that same day. I, I just, I was, I was like a new leash on life that um, I had no idea. We don't know where it came from. I don't know how I got it, but I was so thankful that I had someone looking over me that I had another reason to be around. So it was a roller coaster ride for sure because I, I had no idea what was coming next, but I can tell someone that has been in the shoes I was in for, I can tell them for two weeks, I know how they feel. And I can tell you that I've, I've been blessed because it didn't 
it didn't get me. And uh, I had a second chance and I've been trying to abide by that chance that I was given, I guess, since then. And, and like I said, uh, it was, it was a roller coaster. You know how a roller coaster goes, it chugs and you get up to the top and then the fun is wee for about five seconds. And then you got to chug a long time to get back up. And uh, I think life is like that sometimes. And I think winning is like that sometimes, but I won no matter what. So I'll enjoy that, that roller coaster ride again, <laughs> for sure. What year was the first time you went to the NFR? That was in 1999. And Madison, I've been four times. I went twice to the left and twice to the right. So I have been both ways at the finals. I'm left-handed, by the way. So that has really nothing to do with it other than the fact that I enjoy going left on a horse as much as I enjoy going right. So how did it feel when you went to your first NFR? Everybody's big goal is to make it to the NFR. And how did, how did you feel? One of the important things with that story is I had a horse that my mom and dad sold horses, like I told you, and that horse was sold to someone else. And at that time, what you would call an amateur association, that's what I was doing. I was just amateuring and, um, and I was winning our associations. Like if we had three, I won all three of those. I had a real nice horse. And my mom and dad sold that horse and it came back on a vet check because it didn't have any front teeth. Well, I don't have any front teeth on the bottom either. So it had any in the top. I have none in the bottom. And so um, I think that was probably one of the things that attracted me to, to this horse to begin with. But mom and dad had it at that time. They had already paid the people for it. So they had it. And then, you know, they couldn't renege on the deal because they'd already paid the people for the horse back then you let people take the horse home and do vet checks we don't do that anymore so we were at a jackpot and I was winning the jackpot and mom dad brought that horse and asked me to run it and I ran that horse and I outran my horse a half a second and that was the horse I was winning on that night we went to a well an amateur rodeo in Mount Pleasant and I loaded that horse in my trailer instead of my horse and my mom and dad said what are you doing and I said I'm going to take that horse to the rodeo. Mom said, why? And I said, that horse just outran my good horse a half a second. Are you kidding me? And I took that horse to the rodeo that night, got a check on it. And ever since then, he was, that was my horse. I sold my good horse and paid for that horse. And of all the things in life, percentages are important to me. And that horse in two years time, I made the finals on him in 1999. I made the finals on him in 2000. He was the funnest horse I have ever rode because when I went in the gate, he wasn't the fastest kid on the block. He would get a check. He was a check getter. And 85 and a half percent of every check, every place I ever went, that horse got a check. So that means every 10 rodeos at eight and a half of them, I would get a check in the professional rodeo association two years in a row. I will never have that again. That is something that is super phenomenal. It might be 10th, it might be second, but he got a check and that's fun. I'm going to tell you that is, um, that makes you strong, that, that gives you so much um, positive vibes to know that that horse puts out that type of work every single time. He had no big breeding, uh, no fancy pedigree. Um, like I said, and no front teeth. That's why he didn't pass the vet check. How funny is that? So he was a lot of fun. He wasn't the fastest 
kid at the Thomas and Mac, but he was a check getter. So I really enjoyed my first NFR with him simply for the fact uh, I enjoyed him personally for the fact that he was a really good horse. Now, with that, he got hurt by accident and I had to ride something else. And that was very difficult for me because he was my, uh, he was the sole provider. He was my best friend. Um, at that time, uh, the, my first year, there was no man in my life, but my dad. So he was my only, I guess, breathing man. I looked up to, but my dad and he never let me down. And so when he got hurt, my second year, it was really tough. And I had to ride something else and it wasn't his fault or mine. Someone else turned him out and didn't know they thought he was a different horse and he got hurt. So, um, but I, I can tell you from a little town of Hugo where I grew up to Marshall, Texas, where I lived at that time, having that type of horse, because I had, he had won everything locally there was, it was a chance I knew he needed to go. I knew he could do it out to the big road. I just didn't, I'd never been, I'd never pro rodeoed ever. And he was the horse that took me there. And I had a full-time job and my job, I worked for Perina. They made me a deal and let me go two months and in two months time, I was stayed gone and I'd fly home. My mom would keep my horse. I had one horse, not two, one and one trailer. And my mom would, she flew out and she kept my horse and I would fly home and I'd work Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'd catch a red eye and go rodeo Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And I'd fly home back on a red eye, work Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'd fly back out. And I did that for two months and I made the finals in the heat of the moment in June and July. I went out in June, so it'd be July and August doing that. So dreams do come true, by the way. <laughs> yeah, wow. So one of our Rodeo Kids ambassadors has a, has a question they wanted to ask you. Okay. Um, it's what is one trick that has helped you stay calm before you compete? One trick that has stayed calm and compete. I guess I am a, a very calm rider in the gate. I've had some horses that are, that are um, not so nice in the gate. Um, and part of that is because we had to take horses that weren't so great and make them better. And I guess one of the things that I do that I believe everyone should do is before you go into the arena, think about the last run that you made that was good, regardless if that's in the practice arena, regardless if that's on a big stage, it doesn't make any difference. Just whatever you did best last and play that in your head before you go in. I think that gets you in a, in a sense of winning. It makes you feel calmer about the situation and it, it just makes you kind of ease. And I, I don't go in, you know, pumped and all of that stuff. I'm real quiet in the alleyway. I'm, you know, and I think that is because I do that. I also, with that, before the rodeo, I always go in on foot and I find my spot to my first barrel. I never go in there blind. I always know where that barrel is going to be, how I'm going to get my approach and how it's going to work, how the gate opens, you know, what the alley's like. If I'm coming home to a closed gate, a side gate, you know, is the barrel short? Is it long? And those two things I put together and that's kind of a regiment that I do. And I, I do it all the time. It doesn't matter. I don't just do it every once in a while. I do it all the time. And I think if you do those two things, it prepares you and it's not as scary when you go in there. I really 
really appreciate that as well. I think that going in on foot and visualizing it that way is so important being successful. Just knowing where those points are in the arena. And I love the steady calm thing as well, because what I tell kids a lot is, yes, what catches our attention is a lot of movement and the drama and all of the excitement that comes with the wound up crazy girl horse and excited, jumpy, spastic rider. So it catches our attention, but it's not what wins 90% of the time. And if it does win for a while, it doesn't win consistently. Agreed. Totally agreed. I always tell everyone, if, you, if you've had those bad runs, Madison, you watch them, you critique them, you see what you did wrong, and then you hit the delete button. Because if you if you keep watching the bad runs, then you're just creating yourself to do the bad runs over and over again. So you're anticipating that's going to happen. So I always say, watch them. You know, the only reason you'd keep them is if you think something might be happening with your horse as far as a, a vet issue. Otherwise, delete it. Don't watch it. Only watch the good ones. If you want to get ready to go to a big race, watch all the ones where you win. Because that'll get you pumped up more than anything that I can do this. I know how. So could you tell us how this idea from uh, for the Vegas Toughest came to be? It was totally 100% Mr. Mike Johnson's idea. He wanted to have something that people could compete at, qualify at, and run at the biggest money. And he wanted it to be during the national finals week. He wanted to be at the national finals and he wanted it to mirror one day what they aspire to be. And so we thought really hard about how to do it. And we knew it had to have qualifiers all over. And so that is exactly what, what we did. We reached out to people that we know we've rodeoed with, told them the idea, told them the concept, scared to death, guaranteed 10,000 for every event. And I thought we'd go broke if that didn't work out. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know what we were going to do. I guess my, go to the bank and, and pray. I don't know. But uh, anyway, it, it just went in leaps and bounds because the areas that we called upon were really good. They loved the idea. They loved the fact that the money went back to the kids. All of our sponsors that we had been with for years, I, I believe that sponsorship is important if it lasts, you know, if it's something you believe in. I mean, I have wore Cowgirl Tough jeans and, and shirts since I just can't hardly remember. <laughs> and, you know, I wore five-star boots on my horse when they were pro boots that they bought the company. Like I, I've been with those people so long that I, you know, Mike's been Wrangler when Wrangler was cool, uncool and back to cool, you know, like, I mean, our life, and we're a split family. We tease about that with our clothing. But, you know, I believe that, you you know, you have to want to do the things that you're doing. You have to believe in what you're doing. You don't wear a patch or you just don't get it because someone gave you money or because they're going to give you a product. You know, you need to know that that product, what it's about, it means and its purpose. And I think that's why our sponsors have been with us. If, if it wasn't for the sponsorships, and the people that that believed in what we did too, it would have been hard for us to, to do the idea. And once we did the idea and the first year um, we were at Horseman's Park, which was an outside arena in Vegas, and we gave a half a million dollars away. And we were so excited because the poor people did the big event and, and we didn't have a backer. We didn't have someone that put up the money. It was just two, a cowboy and a cowgirl and a vision. And it was so awesome that 
we said we're going to make it a million and it's at this year i'm i'm hoping it'll get a million point five and that's cash and then prizes and you know we've got two trucks we've been so blessed with all the people and you know um i'm gonna tell you uh our church service is awesome and i'm gonna tell you why because kids just like you are the ones that put it on no adults put it on i have kids that do it because i believe that kids listen to kids and they think parents are always telling them what to do an adult and i think if they can see there's another kid doing the right thing they're more apt to do the right thing and and believe it's cool while they're doing it and so it's just a really cool deal madison we have i i can't tell you how much fun it is to see these kids win this money when i was your age there is no way that i could remotely go to something this big we had bologna sandwiches and an ice chest that's not like my mom but if we won all four events we might pay the way you know and we shared a motel room with the with the sleeping bags on the floor with another family or you know we slept in a camper with a boot which um that means you could climb from the camper shell to the truck so you know it's very different now and these kids can win so much money when a when a 12 year old and under goat tire can win sixteen thousand dollars trying to trying to go against 40 other girls that's a lot of money and that's what it's about you know the more and more that we do it the bigger that it gets and it's super cool to see kids from everywhere you know this year we had one in ohio and we had one in pennsylvania and so you know uh, we had one in Al stetler alberta canada next year i have an aussie want to do one in australia like that is so cool i mean we had one in hawaii last year so you know all over the globe not just texas and oklahoma where all the kids want to go to college all the kids want to be there are other kids that are tough too and they have good horses and we just got to get them to know that they are and give them the chance and that was a big goal of ours we have 41 i believe qualifiers this year and 25 percent of our kids are sponsored madison that means that 25% of our kids can go to Vegas, get the opportunity and not worry that they won't have Christmas because their entry fee is paid, their jacket is paid, their, their stall is paid, their room is paid. All they have to do is get there. Everything is paid. And so I think that in itself is a big deal. And that's a program we have that I absolutely adore. And that's for individuals. That's not the event itself. That's just kids getting go to the event and not having to have all the pressure in case it doesn't turn out like they hope it does. I really, really appreciate that you guys are doing things for the entire country and not just where it's saturated. You know, I'm from Iowa, Madison's from Michigan, and there is so much talent. And I think one of the big mistakes, in my opinion, that our industry is doing is moving everything south and taking away opportunities from a nationwide and, and North American 
event and, and way of life and industry and they're they're moving it away from so many places and um i just i think that's a big mistake and so i really appreciate that you guys are making sure that there is opportunities for the youth who are going to continue in this industry and they're the ones who have to take it on and continue to fund it and work for it and and pay those entry fees as they're you know as they grow up and become adults so i applaud you for making sure that the whole country has an opportunity and not just the places that they've already got so many opportunities. We feel like, you know, we put 10 of our qualifiers in Texas and that's enough. And so that's what we do. The rest of them are going to come, even though they might be smaller to start with, like Pennsylvania this year, it was smaller than it will. I guarantee you it will be bigger next year. It will grow. Mm -hmm. um, we brought, we brought a kid from Pennsylvania uh, and she was one hole out of placing in the barrels. And that sparked this qualifier this year. And I believe next year it'll spark more. And I, you know, um, I would love to visit at some point about doing one in Iowa next year. I believe yeah. they may go small, they may start small, but if you give those kids an opportunity and they see their kids do something in Vegas, it, it, it's amazing. You won't imagine what it will do. You, you know, for if everybody. you build it, they will come. Yeah, that's right. You build it, they will come. <laughs> I agree. Yes. I agree. So as we um, start to round this up and stuff, we want to make sure that people know how they can get qualified for the event um, and just kind of what that process looks like. Awesome. So Vegas Toughest Junior World Championship is in December, the same time as the national finals. We'll have a back number ceremony on the 6th. That is check-in. It is free to the public. So if you're in Vegas and you want to come see what we're talking about and what we're growing for these kids, please come. It is free. We obviously have you guys there this year. We're super excited about how that's yeah. going to play out for our first group of kids. Um, that's going to be super fun. I even have uh, uh, another uh, idea that's going to come through. Maybe um, a young man from your area that might come and do some clowning around and help out a little bit. So um, awesome. we'll visit about that later. But then our event starts on the 7th. The 7th through the 10th is our big group. And then our obviously our hot round short go is on the 11th. And then we do our new event, which is team roping on the 12th and the 13th. And then we have an open barrel racing, um, a race for the bonus, which is the next two days. So we have a 10-day span of it. But if you want to get qualified for Vegas Toughest for 2024, uh, 2023 ends in, in August, so we have about seven or eight left qualifiers, but if you're looking to plan ahead and want to get qualified in 2024, then in January, you can go to johnsonsportline.com and click Vegas Toughest, and there'll be a schedule there. They'll have all the qualifiers for the year, and they'll have uh, flyers. Uh, usually the flyer is up a couple of months before the event. It gives you a contact, how to go. But basically what happens if there is a qualifier in your area, you'll need to be a member. You buy one membership for the whole season. It's $100. And then you go to that qualifier. And let's say if you're a barrel racer and you're in the 19 and under barrels, then you would go to the qualifier. You'd pay whatever entry fee it is that you run at that day. And then you pay a side pot of $100. And that $100 goes to the hot rounds in Vegas. All of the kids run at that money. Like last year, I think 
the 1900 was 16,000 was first and 1,000 was 10th. And that's where that money goes. And so if you, and it's guaranteed 10, so it, it won't go lower than 10, but you could hit all three barrels in the trash can and win 10th and win 1,000. So um, anyway, it's kind of fun that way. But if there are five entries in the 1900 barrels, as that example, then we would take one to Vegas, one qualifier. And then if there are six entries to 15 entries, we would take two. And then if there um, is 16 to 25, we would take three. And then any event that has over 26, 26 or over, we take four. So the most we take at one qualifier would be four in an event. So we take one, two, three, or four. If we don't have five entries, then the event doesn't make on the Vegas Tepa side. And obviously we give your money back. So um, it, it's a, um, you know, a pretty good deal we'll have between some of the events will have 60 like in the goat tying and some of the barrels will have over 100 so you know 100 say to 110 so between 60 to 100 typically is uh, the events in vegas um if you would like to see how it pays in vegas if you will go to the johnsonsportline.com and just click vegas toughest and scroll to the bottom there's a, a book and it flips. It's a flip book and it gives you what everybody won last year in each go round, the average, the short go and the hot round. So you can see how much money they won. You can see the person that won the, the world championship and how much money they won. They'll have their nice check there. And then you'll see the kids that won the trucks. So, you know, there's nothing hidden. We want you to know what's up to stake. We want you to know how much money is there to win. We have a back number ceremony. Oh my gosh. So much fun. I hope Madison, you get mm -hmm. to come. Oh my, they come across stage to get their back number and they dress up so much. I don't even recognize them. Um, when they shake Mike's hand, I don't know who they are. And uh, we give a hundred X hat to the, to the, to the best dress that night. We give NFR tickets and it's, it's just a big deal. And so these kids get to get to put on dresses and high heels and you know the boys get to put on sequin lapels and all that sort of thing and have a big time it's a lot of fun we do a lot of things not only just compete while you're there so it's a big nfr experience for sure yes madison will be there this year so she's coming out for a few days to help us so she'll be in the booth and we're excited to have her there awesome yeah. yes. good deal well, one of the fun so, things we do for the kids at night is, Madison, is you get to come to the NFR experience, and that's free to our kids, and we get to watch the NFR all together, eat pizza, popcorn, and lemonade, so um, it's a lot of fun, and it's just all of our contestant kids in there, and then some of their parents, so. Is nice. that open to the public as well for youth? It, we will, um, it will not be open to the public but it's open to our family and friends and part of us so your kids will be allowed okay. in that awesome safe environment yes my mom is the headmaster at the door so if the parents want to go and do something adulty for an hour and a half the kids don't get to leave without their parents and they have wristbands so it's important she uh, one girl said i'm 18 mom said you can't leave. And she said, if I show you my license, and mom said, show me your license. And so she had to show mom her license because she looked like she was 15. <laughs> well, so that's mom, good though. I mean, it's yeah, safe. Yeah. yeah, it's safe for sure. So very cool. Very cool. Well, we are super excited to come out and be a part of it with Rodeo Kids. And as you said, it's open 
open to the public. And uh, for those of you who aren't going to be competing there, but want to come check it out, the Reds booth will have dummies to rope and goaties to go tie and all kinds of fun stuff for the, the kids to do on foot and some little jackpots. And I think we'll do some pop-up barrel stick course races and stuff like that. So we'll have awesome. all kinds of cool things going on um, while while the event is going on for those kids um, who are there and the spectators who want to come in and check it out. Awesome. I'm so excited you guys are going to be a part of it. And anything you want to, Madison, get together um, as like a flyer or whatever, or just a short video, and you want to send it to me, we'll gladly put it on our Facebook page so everyone knows you guys are going to be there and what you're going to be doing. So awesome. if, if it's awesome. anything. So at any time, just, just send it to me and say, will you please put this on there? I will get it done. So that is for Perfect. sure. Yeah. Is there any other things that you would like to add about the event before we wrap this up? Uh, not this. I just appreciate everyone um, being a part of it. It is for the kids. Vegas Tough is something that I can't tell you how much importance that it is for Mike and I to be a part of something that's making our future. And um, the money obviously is, is by far the biggest um, uh, for the amount of kids that you compete against. You can't uh, compete anywhere else for that sort of money anywhere in the world. But the most important is the camaraderie. You know, Vegas is not a, a potentially safe place but I can say that you know our event and the staff that we have and the place that we have it and the way that it is set up makes you feel like for a little bit you can have some fun and not feel like you're as worried about where you are and and that sort of thing and when you're inside that building you just feel like you know you're you're at the Thomas and Mac you know the arena is that size um, this, the, the ground is from there, the stall, I'm just saying it gives you that feel. And I know people go to high school nationals and all those things. And, but there's a lot of kids there. This is the top of the top. And, um, for what they get to do and the money they can run at and the feeling, it gives me goosebumps every year because I'm so excited to see these kids get to showcase what they know in a sport that we grew up in and that we love and that I get to put my name on that. And I couldn't be more honored and privileged every year that we get people like rodeo kids involved with it. Cause at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. So, so if there's anything we can do for you guys, please let me know. You bet. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> thanks madison for hosting everything yeah you're welcome super excited that i got to talk to you today well me too super excited i got to see you you've all grown up on me yeah. you're gonna have to all send right, me some well, videos now <laughs> okay. okay yes all right thank you for your time and we'll we'll do another one in the fall to highlight a few more things that you've got planned for the event that sounds awesome we'll know numbers by then so awesome all right, All right, thanks and have a great day. night. Bye-bye. Uh -huh,
what another awesome Rodeo Kids podcast. And we are just so grateful, thankful, and blessed for the people in our industry who have chosen to join us over the past couple years. We are over 125 podcasts in now. If you haven't listened to the others, if this is your first time, we encourage you to scroll back through the archives because guys, there are just so many amazing stories um, in this industry and with the people who have been on this podcast. And I just want to give you guys a hats off for listening to this podcast. You are continuing to build yourself up. You're continuing to grow and to learn when you listen to stuff like this. I know sometimes we get caught up in just being in the arena and practice, practice, practice. But listening to stories like this and getting this encouragement and hearing how people started and where it led them to and all the different ways that you can do it. Those are just hints and tips and tricks and encouragement for you along your path. And you are surrounding yourself with amazing people in this industry um, and building that support system and building yourself up when you listen to stuff like this. So kudos to you. Hats off. Keep up the good work. Now, I want to share with you our exciting announcement about Rodeo Kids and our new opportunity. If you follow us on social media, you may have seen it, but we are now offering Rodeo Kids Scholarship Nominations. So what that means is that you can go on to rodeokids.com and nominate an individual that stands out to you. Somebody who maybe is in your rodeo community or in your community um, that's industry related. That's one thing that we do kind of have a stipulation on is that we do want to keep it in our industry. Um, Rodeo, ag, that kind of stuff. But somebody who you really want to recognize somebody who maybe is really hardworking, but could use a little bit of help. Maybe somebody in a family that you know tries really hard, but they're going through a financial hardship. Maybe it's a kid who is just a good all around human being. They stand up for what's right. They help other people. Like maybe they're even successful, but you want to help them and nominate them and recognize them for what they do for the people around them because their character is so good. Um, You know, just somebody who stands out to you as an individual, you can go on to rodeokids.com under nominate a rodeo kid and fill out a form explaining why you think this person should achieve it or should deserves to be nominated. And then you also get to decide rodeo kids will give up to $100 depending on the situation. Um, You can add to that, which we really encourage you to do at rodeo kids. We're doing our best to get as many funds rounded up as possible, but obviously we can always use the help. And um, if you can nominate somebody, we just really hope that you're willing to give too. you know, the Bible tells us when we give, we, we gain. Um, And we also get to receive them back and also to not withhold good from those who deserve it. And uh, so we just want to encourage you to make sure uh, if you have the means and the funds to add a little bit onto that donation. So we all know that clinics, camps, stuff like that, those are expensive. So if we can help even more with those funds, that would be fantastic. So anyway, you fill that out. Put in how much money you would like to contribute to it if you can or whatever else and hit that submit button and we will go through the form and approve it. Make sure um, that it's good. We also have references on there. So we want to make sure that our references also approve that this person is that you're nominating is who they say they are. And we will confirm the only other thing that I want to really make a note of is that you cannot nominate somebody in your immediate family. These nominations are intended to be random acts of kindness where we get to recognize outstanding individuals um, in our industry and help them continue to grow and learn. So it cannot be a brother, a sister, 
um, a son, a daughter, a grandma or grandpa cannot nominate, a mom or dad or cannot nominate. And so it has to be somebody outside of your immediate family. There has to be uh, two to three references that can back up your story and make sure and confirm that mom or dad isn't doing that for them. Because we just, like I said, we want this to be anonymous and random acts of kindness where people really get to pick each other up and identify each other for their outstanding work so we can continue growing and feeling good and just keep this industry moving in the right direction, guys. So with all that being said, I encourage you to head on over to rodeokids.com. Talk about it in your communities, people who you think are just really neat um, and who deserve this recognition and get some people on board to go on and nominate them. More than one person can nominate somebody. We're only going to give each person X amount of dollars. Um, but the more nominations they have, the better, you know, that will will be more likely to be able to select that individual. So um, talk about this with your friends. Guys, we are all in this together as a rodeo community, as a rodeo family, and agriculture in general. Like we call it rodeo kids, but it's about agriculture and keeping this way of life moving forward. Because right now, 1% of the world feeds the rest of it. And the rest of it is trying to get rid of the 1% and they'll probably all die because we feed the world. So we need to make sure that we do our part in that. Um, the last thing, I guess, after that, the person who receives the nomination will receive a voucher. Um, they can redeem that voucher by contacting us at Rodeo Kids for the educational opportunity, uh, clinic, camp, lesson, industry-related seminar classes or products like books, DVDs, things like that, uh, that they would like to redeem their funds towards. So head on over to rodeokids.com, nominate a rodeo kid and hit that submit button and let's make the world a better place. If you don't have somebody in mind to nominate, maybe you're out of the scene, but you like listening to this stuff, but you're in a position that you can donate to rodeo kids or support us in another way, please head on over to that support page. We would love to be able to include you in uh, making these opportunities continue to grow and just to make a difference in this industry and impact as many youth as we possibly can because they are the future. So thank you guys for listening today. Have a wonderful weekend, safe travels, God bless, and good luck while chasing your gold buckle dreams.